Welcome back, everybody, to Amit Sports Talk here with Coach Sherm. Uh, very excited about our interview tonight with uh, Etan Thomas here on episode 47. You guys are going to really love this interview. Uh, probably remember him from his playing days at, at Syracuse and college and then uh, with the Wizards for a number of years. Uh, spent 11 years in the NBA. Uh, now he's a great uh, author and poet and columnist. Uh, very uh, just some great books that he has out there. He's a, a, a speaker, speaks to the youth. He's an AAU coach. Uh, just very great guy, uh, father and husband and um, uh, very socially active. And and it's just a great interview. I think that you're really going to enjoy it. want to give a big shout out to Coach T over there at Springbrook High School in, in uh, Montgomery County. She was a great interview there on episode 46. Got some great feedback on her. Th- they're going to be really good under her. So I think that you all will enjoy that. But enjoy this interview with the Tom Thomas. He's He's someone who I look up to a lot and I was very excited to have this interview and be able to spend this time with him so enjoy Mr. Atan Thomas, Coach Atan Thomas, author, poet, <laughs> former NBA player. How you doing today, sir? I'm blessed. I'm blessed. How are you doing? Good, man. I really appreciate you coming on. And, uh, I, you know, we were kind of talking a little bit before we started. And just want to tell you, it's a big interview for me because um, I really do admire you and uh, uh, follow everything you do on social media. And, and it's really, truly a great honor to have you on uh, All Met Sports Talk uh, with Coach Sherm here today. So thank thanks you. for joining. Thank you. Thank you. It's an honor. It's an honor. So thanks for having me. All right. So let's dive right in. So I wanted to, um, there's a lot of hats you wear and I could really sit here and probably talk to you. We could talk hoops or we could talk life or, or any number of things for hours, but, um, I don't want to take your whole day and people might tune out after two or three hours. So (laughs) I'll do my best to keep it to an hour or less, but, uh, so just talk about where you grew up. So were you born in New York? Uh, born in Harlem, born in Harlem. But, uh, so did you grow up in Oklahoma or how did it, Kind of want to yeah, talk about so your when early I was life. Young, um, my my dad got transferred with American Airlines to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Okay, so that's when we moved to Oklahoma, but then I spent all my summers in Harlem. So it was a little bit of so I got a little bit of both. Yeah, wow, two different worlds, I'm sure. Yeah, completely different. Yeah, and um, speaking of Tulsa, just wanted to also, you know, prayers and condolences to the families and of another yet another mass shooting in Tulsa. I'm sure that that hit home for you uh, this okay. week. Definitely did. You know, some of my friends, I have, I have two friends that I grew up with, their wives actually worked at St. Francis Hospital. Mm. Um, you know, so it's pretty much all everybody in Tulsa is talking about right now. My mother still lives in Tulsa. So I was just talking to her about it yesterday. And, you know, we're talking about the gun laws and the gun culture down there and around the country and by, you know, we, so yeah. everybody's talking. But the problem is everybody has these discussions after a mass shooting and then they just kind of go away. Right. Until the next one. Yeah. So unfortunate. Yeah. And and, again, we could go down a a rabbit hole here, but Oklahoma banned red flag laws last year, I think. So, yeah. So, I mean, you could just go in and and buy a, you know, any type of weapon that you that you want. Then there's no background checks. There's no wait period. There's no anything. And then the thing that they have down south a lot of times is they have these things called gun and knife shows. So there's these big things, these big like expos where you can mm-hmm. buy all these different guns and anybody can walk up there and they have these like like military type weaponry all around that you could just purchase. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah. Like it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. It's crazy that we live like this. I mean, I, you know, again, uh, I think 87 percent of the country and that includes gun owners, actually, 87 percent of gun owners want want stricter laws. Right. Uh, and 90% of the country wants uh, stricter uh, gun control. You can't get 90% of Americans to walk outside and agree that the sky is blue. That's true. <laughs> but, you, but 90% of them, and there's 50 people, 50 people that get to decide that we're not going to have gun laws. And, and the thing is that the, the key 50 people, you know, the NRA has their ties to those key 50 people. So mm-hmm. no matter what everybody thinks, everybody wants they're going to vote one way, you know, yeah. what I mean? and that's, that's, that's the problem right there. That's it, the issue. It, it's, 
it's unbelievable that we live like this. Unbelievable. All right. So, um, you know, and, and I hate even saying like thoughts and prayers because it's, you know, yeah. we're, we're not doing anything. So it's, right. you know, right. just till the next one. Um, so growing up in Tulsa, what was life like when you moved down there? I mean, it was great. You know, so I, I, I lived in um, a, a historical area. You know, people people now are learning about uh, Black Wall Street mm-hmm. and about what happened with the Tulsa race massacre and everything like that. But that's why my, my middle school was like eight minutes from there. Really? Wow. Where Black Wall Street was. So we grew up inundated with all of that history. So it was, all, it was always so interesting. I remember I went to um, Syracuse. And I was in a class and the um, the professor uh, referenced it. And then he's paused. He said, wait, does everybody know about Black Wall Street and Tulsa Race Massacre? I was like, yeah, sure. And I'm looking yeah. around and everybody was like, uh-uh, what's that? Like, <laughs> oh, wow. and, if you know, and this is a big lecture hall. Yeah. So he said, raise your hand if you know about this. And I raised my hand. I looked around. There was literally two other people who raised their hand. One was from Oklahoma and one was from Texas. Because uh, we wow. talked that Nobody else had heard about Black Wall Street. Tulsa race massacre. And I was like, y'all don't know what happened. Y'all don't know what, 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 what was going on. And they didn't know. So it's interesting. Like just recently the nation started to learn about everything that happened like, mm-hmm. like three or four years ago. Yep. I was like, wow, that's, that's amazing. Cause we grew up with that information. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I, and it is, it, it's, it's amazing how big this country is too. Right. Like, I mean, something like that is a, is a great example where you know history is taught some things are left out and some are not or taught differently yeah. depending where you live in the country so yeah definitely i mean yeah. the way that i mean i don't understand how that isn't taught because <laughs> the entire economic structure of everything moving forward to different time periods was affected by that occur- like i don't know how that's not taught like I, yeah. I don't, you know yeah that's crazy. That's wild. So did you, uh, what other sports did you play? Obviously you played basketball. What other sports did you play growing up? Um, I tried baseball for a year in third grade and I was not good. So I left it alone and I wanted to play football. My mom was just like, no. So it was kind of like, you know, don't even waste your breath. You're not playing football. So I didn't play football. So I didn't <laughs> yeah. Play basketball. yeah. She was, she was very adamant about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, it worked out for you. So mom was right. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So what? So did you play uh, when you would go home back home to Harlem in the summers? Would you uh, play there a lot? And, and what oh, was yeah. that like? All, all the time. So my grandfather would have me, you know, take me up to the park and play against the older guys. You know, play against you know just guys in the park stuff like that, and teach me lessons while I'm while I'm there. He was like, "See, you see that guy right there? He could have been this, but he mm. chose a different way. Now he can still play. He probably doesn't work out. He doesn't. He just comes to the park." You know, he puts his, puts his, you know what I mean? He got in a brown paper bag, you yep. know, drink down, comes out hooping, and then goes <laughs> drinking and goes back to the court, you know? So he's telling me all these lessons. But, um, yeah, I saw some amazing players. But, you know, and, and playing in a, in a park in New York is, is different. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's yeah. this type of play, a ball, than when I go back and play in, in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, in my middle school league or whatever. It's right. a different ball. So, yeah, he had to grow up real quick. Yeah. And then how were you able to translate that to when you get to high school um, down in Tulsa? Did you just feel like, I mean, the game is obviously very different. That, that's another thing. Basketball is very different depending where you are in the country. So what was that like? I mean, it was good. It, it, like I said, you had to grow up quick because I'm playing against grown people. Like I, right. was, I was taller, but I'm a kid. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Bro cats. And so you just, you just learn quick. So you know, you go back and you, you take what you learned, you know, to your middle school and high school and, you know, you're playing yeah. on a whole level. You yeah, know? that's it, awesome. Yeah, it was it was it was great to be able to have that experience. Yeah. So you end up going to Syracuse. What was the recruiting process like and, and what uh, what other schools did you look at were recruiting you heavily and things like that? So I was, you know, spending so much time in New York, going to the Big East tournament with my grandfather, you know what I mean? Going to the garden. I really only wanted to go to Big East schools. Yeah. It was really all Big East, you yeah. know, so Syracuse, Georgetown, St. John's, Villanova. See, those are the schools that I was paying attention to. And I fell in love with that style of play. Mm-hmm. So I was looking at other conferences and the style of play was just different. Mm-hmm. So I was like, no, no, no. I like this style over here. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah. And so that's what I really gravitated to. And it's interesting because I, my first school that I wanted to go to was Georgetown. I wanted to go to Georgetown. Yeah. Um, 
but I'm a, I'm a I'm a big Hoya fan, so yeah. oh yeah, I, I wanted to go there, and I admired Coach Thompson so much, and I was seeing him, you know, stand up for against racism, and you know how he was with his team, and how his team, you know, you know, interacted with him, and how they looked up to him, and the things like that. I'm watching Zoe and Matumbo and Ewing, how they talked to him. I was like, oh yeah, I want to be part of that. Yeah. But, uh, you know, when the recruiting process came down, you know, he, he, I talked with him. He said, no, I, I love you as a player. He was like, but I, I have so many big men right now. Yeah. You know, I mean, he had, I remember it was Jamil Watkins, Bubukar Al, uh, Jahadi White was there. Yeah. He was a little older than me. They had Boomse Boomse over in Africa that they knew that they was going to bring over. I mean, yeah. they just had a lot of big men. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Syracuse had one big man who was yeah. going to be leaving after my freshman year. So I was like, yeah. It's an easy decision. <laughs> yeah. And then you just decided to beat up on the Hoyas for a couple of years. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are the games <laughs> I got up for. Whatever we play shows down. <laughs> had, had it circled. Had that date circled. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so um, you decided to go there. What was it like playing for Coach Bayhawk? And, and he's still going strong. It's amazing, right? Yeah. I mean, he's, he's like, a, you know, it, 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 he's going to retire eventually. We're all, right. all the guys are talking. It was like, how long do you think he's going to coach? But um, no, it was a great experience, you know, at Syracuse. So, you know, I met my wife there. My wife uh, played for the women's team. Um, you know, so my entire, you know, life started, you know, there. Mm-hmm. And you, that's, that's the, the college was the time where you transitioned from being, you know, a, a kind of a boy to a man. You mm-hmm. know, you're not under your, your, your mother's, you know, wing and your, your parents' wing and stuff like that. And you have to grow up. And I saw some people um, couldn't handle that level of responsibility or, um, you know, I learned quick. I I was an observer. So one thing my mother always taught me to do is watch, you know, watch. Sometimes you don't have to be the loudest in the room. You don't have to be the one that's all just watch, just observe guys. And so I did a lot of that, especially my freshman year. And um, I saw the, you know, some mistakes that guys made and I said, okay, I'm not going to do that. You know, what I mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it was, you know, I was out from my, my mother's wing, but I still heard her voice in my head. Yeah. Yeah. I understand. That's great. And it's a lot colder up there than it is in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Oh, so. <laughs> that, that's the one part that I was just like, man, is it going to stop snowing? Like, that's 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 the one part, though, that was tough. But, you know, it, it you know, it kept me, you know, you, you had you, you when it's cold and snowing and it's like that. You're a little bit more focused. I'm not. A, I'm not a snow person. I'm not a out. You know, going out a whole lot when it's snowing. That's, that's right. not. So I was like, well, guess I'll go to the gym. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's either sit here in my in my dorm room or I can get some extra work in. Yeah. Now the Carrier Dome was interesting because it a lot of people had trouble shooting there. So I, I'm interested. Uh, with you know, like the depth perception and stuff like that. But you are obviously. I mean that. It didn't affect me at all. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, well, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, I'm, around, I'm around. So I was, you know, I was, that was back. And even when I'm talking to, you know, young people now, the game was so different back there. So so now somebody my size, they all want to shoot threes and stuff. I didn't true. want to shoot threes. Yeah. I didn't have no desire to shoot a three. Right. You know, seeing I was down low in the paint. So, you know, banging and, you know, jump hooks, dunks. Physical play, rebounding, you know, swing your elbows. You know, that that's what I wanted to do. So right. Yeah, the depth perception didn't bother me. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, but it was but what what did, what was it like for I mean, you can't really answer for the guards, I guess, but it is different, I guess. You have almost a, a, a unique home court advantage when other teams are coming in. Definitely. So, yeah, mean, so, so, so would so, you all like play to that at all? Well, you know, when the dome was really rocking, like for, for the big games, you mm. know, I would hear other people talk about how intimidating it was. Mm. So, so it's interesting because we talk about it, the guys, um, once we got to the league, we're looking around, we're like, huh, this is a smaller crowd than what we're used to at the dome. <laughs> you know? Because when we play our big games against, you know, Georgetown against the rivals, that place is packed. We get yeah. 30,000 people That's and it's like rockets. You know yeah. what I mean? So. Yeah. Yeah, it's that's wild. So you had a great career there. Um, Your senior year, your first team All Big East, your third team All American, uh, you your junior and senior year, two time uh, Big East Defensive Player of the Year, uh, sophomore year uh, Big East Most Improved. I mean, ton of awards, man. That's a tremendous career there. So, congrats on that. 
I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Good time. Yeah. So you uh you get to the NBA, um, your first round, twelfth overall pick by the Mavericks, and then traded uh pretty much immediately to the Wizards. Um right which made me happy because I'm a big Wizards fan. So <laughs> spend your first seven seasons there. What was it like playing in uh, D.C.? And, you, and I'm going to ask you about somebody special in a second. But what was it What was it like coming to D.C.? You weren't far from New York, I guess. So that was right, nice. Right, right, No, it was great. You know what I mean? It was a great experience. And I, I, I played through a lot of different eras here. Like you said, yes. the one team, you know, you, a lot of people don't, don't, don't have that type of longevity on one particular team. Right. Uh, but it was great. You know, yeah. experience. So you you have the unique, and this is really crazy to me, and I want to ask you about this. So you got to play with MJ. Right. When MJ, and so first of all, what was that like? Oh, man. I, and I tell people it was like, so it, it was like traveling with Michael Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great, that's a great analogy, I'm was, sure. Yeah. It's so funny because, you know, my locker was right next to Christian Leitner's. Mm. And I grew up hating Christian Leitner, like a lot of people. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. I hated him, too. I said to him, I was like, you don't understand how much I hated your guts growing up. And yeah. He was like, yeah, everybody tells me that. <laughs> he was like the nicest guy. Like, he was like, you know, because sometimes my, my my friends back home, they're like, hey, who do you hang out with on the team? Like, who are cool and stuff like that? I'll be like, you're not going to believe this. But Christian Leitner is the coolest dude. They're like, Christian Leitner? You know, like that is not what they thought I was <laughs> But um, no, it was it was amazing. It was like, you know, why I said it was like Michael Jackson. You remember those old that old footage that you would see of Michael Jackson when he would come to a place and you would see these big crowds and you would see people just start crying for no yeah. reason. Yeah. Or they would pass out or something like that. <laughs> with MJ so I'm looking around I'm like wow this is this is amazing is this what the NBA is like <laughs> they're they're here for MJ not for us <laughs> get that out of your mind right now this is, yeah. this is for MJ I'm like oh okay okay yeah but no, it, was, it was it was it was amazing yeah uh, was amazing. now did he come in your second season oh the first year oh he, oh so that was your intro to the NBA was that was, was my my, well I I I I was drafted in 2000 and okay. then I was traded. So then he came, then he came the next year, but gotcha. I wasn't playing that first year. Cause I, I got uh, my foot, I had surgery on my foot. Gotcha. Okay. So I was okay. sitting, sitting by just kind of watching everything, but the next year he came. Gotcha. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, Mike's well, Mike Sweetney, we have a mutual friend in Mike Sweetney. Yeah. Uh, that's guy. Yeah. And I love Mike. Uh, yeah. so he's been on the show too. He has some great Kobe stories. So, you have the unique experience of, of playing with MJ, but playing against Kobe and LeBron. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. So what, you know, I mean, they're kind of the trilogy. <laughs> they are. They really are. <laughs> yes. So that's pretty cool that you got to kind of live that life, you know, with, with, with doing that. Do you have any cool Kobe stories or LeBron stories? Yeah. I mean, we played, we could not get past LeBron um, in the playoffs. We played them like three or four straight years in the playoffs. And it always come down to the, and he was a young cat. Like yeah. he was just, so coming in the league, he's you know teenager, you know, and he was just good immediately. Was this um, the? Uh, I'm sorry, cut you off. Was this with the Gilbert and? Yeah, this was the Gilbert years. Yeah, okay. So yeah, Gilbert and um, uh, Antoine Jameson. Antoine and, Jameson. Yep. Karan okay. Karan came Karan, later. Yeah. First we had Larry Hughes. Larry Hughes, and I was about, okay. That's right. Okay. Yeah. yeah Larry. Yeah. 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 No. Now, did have... you play against Karan? Karan's younger than you though, right? He's younger than me. I didn't play against him in college. Okay. All right. But you probably hated him since he was from UConn. No, nah, no. Nah. We, we, <laughs> we would always, whenever UConn and Syracuse played, we already knew. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Was, yeah but no, it, it was those, those were some good years. Yeah. But we just could not get by LeBron. I mean, we just couldn't do it, but those, it was amazing to see him so young have such a command for the game yeah and that was one thing that was i was really impressed with how young he was i'm like man this guy is 19 20 years old yeah well yeah but i mean i was i was there with with with, um gilbert and kobe going back and forth and the one time gilbert had like 60 down in LA and he, and he took a bow afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> and you just knew next time we played against the Lakers, Kobe was going to be ready. And sure yeah. enough, that cat was all the way ready when he came up to, to, to DC. 
Yeah. Yeah, no, no. Those are those are great times. And just sitting around listening, you know, when I was uh, you know, my my year my years with, with MJ, I mean, I had like Oakley, um, you know, MJ would be sitting there, Leitner, you know, Chris Whitney, Popeye Jones, all these different guys, these veterans. Um, I'd just be listening to them, just yeah. soaking it all up, you know. And I had Patrick Ewan coming over as the coach. So they so they would just be sitting around talking. I just be listening. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Back to what your mom said, right? Yeah. You know, it's funny because I interviewed uh, Patrick Ewing a while ago on my podcast, and he said, Yeah, he was kind of quiet those years. So I was like, Yeah, what am I do? I'm going to talk over MJ and all them. I'm just sitting in the back, just, just listening, observing. Y'all yeah. are legends. You know what I mean? Y'all yeah. are people I grew up. Like, I grew up a Knicks fan. So uh, and I was like, You understand all those times when, you know, the Knicks would go and they would come up against Jordan and come up short or, you know, the, the thing that happened with the, the the finger roll, the the you know what I mean? Yeah. All the, against Houston. Like I lived like I like took those losses with you. That's yeah. how much of a Knicks fan I was. Yeah. So, yeah, it was it was amazing, honestly. Um, you know, having that experience to play with those legends. Yeah, I can yeah, that's that's awesome. Did you uh were you a big Ewing you were a big Ewing fan then? Yeah. Yeah, so what then what was that like when he joins the staff? Oh, it was amazing. So, I mean, I, I had the Ewing jersey when yeah. I was young. You know yeah. what I mean? I, yeah. I had a pair of the Ewing shoes. Yeah. I, had a pair that, I had a pair that I had the knockoff pair that I got from 125th Street. Remember oh. they were, all the vendors outside? Yeah. <laughs> and I got a knockoff pair because if somebody had stepped on my shoes, I was going to be upset. So I got a knockoff pair that I would wear. And then I had a um, the official pair that I would just kind of keep clean and only wear on certain occasions. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> that's a cool memory man that's really cool and, and it's funny that you were like smart enough that at that age to figure that part out <laughs> oh yeah yeah, yeah that real quick i was like i ain't gonna just wear these shoes anywhere <laughs> <laughs> uh and you mentioned that your wife um had played uh basketball at syracuse as well so um oh what was your i meant to ask you what was your major in in college business business, business? yeah okay all right cool Got my um, right above my head over here. Yeah, I see that. Yeah, yeah. Loud and proud, right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so then you finish your MBA career. You go to uh, um, you go to uh, Oklahoma City and then Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so what do you do when you get done? So you had you know nice career, nine years. It's I mean that's that's a long time in the NBA. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So what do you, what do you decide to do at that point? So I was blessed, you know. Um, I I started doing a lot of writing. Yeah. Uh, you know, I wrote, I wrote, you know, a few books and I just kept writing and, you know, the last few years. So I played nine seasons, but it was 11 years, 11 years. Right. Yeah. yeah. So the first year uh, I was injured. And then the one year when I had open heart surgery, so I right. had, yes. had rights, and that was in the middle of, you know, and I, it was, it was an experience where, you know, I could have technically just retired at that point, but I didn't want to, you know uh-huh. what I mean? You want yeah. to come back and, you know, so I, I came back and played a little bit afterwards. It was a little different after when I came back. Sure. Missing a whole year for one thing and then, you know, adjusting to everything from open heart surgery. But I was blessed. I was able to go down to Oklahoma City and I went to Atlanta. Um, but that's when I, I had a little bit of extra time on my hands because I really wasn't playing that much. Yeah. So, you know, I just started writing a lot. And, you know, and then I had um you know we had uh, my wife i didn't have it no nothing for <laughs> first son and so i started writing about that a lot so i wrote a whole book on fatherhood yeah let's uh, talk about that because I, I i have not read that book but it is i'm i'm going i promise you i'm gonna read it when i finish i'm gonna text you and let you know i read it yeah, so, yeah no, no, so fascinating I, I, you know i had been doing a lot of speaking at different you know high schools and things like that you know since i was like younger my mother was a teacher, so she would come back and have me speak at her school when I would come back from college, like, all the time. If I ever yeah. came back, I was going to come back and have to speak at her school. Right. But I just <laughs> doing it. So working with young people just became something that I did, you mm-hmm. know, um, in different capacities. Uh, and so I wanted to write something that was motivational for young people, you know. So I did a lot. I put a lot of different themes in the fatherhood book. Mm-hmm. So for one... I was um, writing something that was motivational for young people who grew up in single parent households. Mm-hmm. Always heard all the negative statistics that, 
you know, if you grew up in a single parent household, you're probably going to end up, you know, in a gang and jail and something like that, pregnant if you're a girl, you know, something terrible. And I remember hearing those statistics all the time when I was younger. And I'm like, no, it doesn't have to be this way. But I was in this, I was in this, um, you know, this circle where I can get other people to tell their experiences. Mm-hmm. So I started asking different people to kind of weigh in. So it became a collection of different interviews with a lot of different people, a lot of different athletes. I got rappers, I got actors, I got all these different people talking about fatherhood and their experiences. Wow. Um, so at that point, I, I was um, appointed by uh, President, then President Obama to be a part of the Fatherhood Initiative. And then My Brother's Keepers, and I yeah. was doing events and speaking all over the place. Um, so it was great. You know, I got a chance to show athletes with their children, which was something that really wasn't seen back then. Like now with social media, it's seen all the time. You're, it's not a big deal to see an uh, athlete with their, you know, with their kids. But but then you didn't really see it. Yeah. So, you know, I, so I interviewed, you know, athletes that I saw, like, you know, like Grant Hill and, you know what I mean? And Alan Houston and, yeah. you know, talking about them with their kids and their influences up there with their fathers. And so it was, it was a good project. And, and what's the name of that book? Fatherhood, Rising okay. to the Ultimate Challenge. So, okay. then what, so then what I also talked about was having, uh, you know, a first son and how everything changes mm-hmm. and, you know, what do you want to teach him and what you want to learn from him and everything like that. And how it was just, you know, a whole different ex- ex- experience. Yeah. For anybody that has kids, they know it changes everything. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It, was a, it was a good project. Yeah, that's excellent, man. And we're gonna we're gonna uh, push that book out. We'll put we'll uh, list all your books in the show okay. notes on this. So, um, you know, if you're listening to this, we'll make sure you know make sure you check out the show notes and and go support that. It's an incredible initiative and um, just amazing, amazing insight. I'm I'm sure. And um, and then what? So what else did you write? Because I know that you've done some poetry, but you've also mm-hmm. written uh, how many books have you written total? So five. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do, do a little bit of writing. Yeah. So I, I did a um, a poetry book uh, when I was here with the Wizards, actually. And I got into poetry and spoken word. And, um, you know, I got into it early. You know, really, I first started off doing speeches and mm-hmm. writing speeches. And I was in speech and debate in high school. Oh, OK. okay. Yeah, so that's where I started off doing it and um, just kind of progressed from there. So I wrote, I wrote the first book, um, More Than Athlete, actually. And then after that, I wrote um, Voices of the Future, which was I, I, um, another book of poetry, but I also incorporated a lot of the young people that I was working with because I always encouraged them to write their own poetry and their own spoken word as means of getting a, um, whether it's therapeutic or they want to get a message out or take a stance on something or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, and I, and I connected with this group in D.C. It's in the D.C. prisons called Free Minds. And they're uh, in the youth correctional facility portion of okay. the prison. And I worked with them. So every year, you know, I was here in D.C. and did poetry workshops with them and encouraged. So I, so I included some of their poems in the book as well. It's good, you know, so it was, it was a good collective process to really, you know, show and, and showcase some of these young people's talents. Yeah. So, so I did, I did that. And then I did fatherhood. And then after that, I did, um, we matter athletes and activism. Yes. So that was right after Kaepernick, you know, took a knee and you had this boom of athletes using their voices, you know, all over the place. So going back a few years, it was a little quiet as far as the activism goes mm-hmm. you know, in the NBA, you know, it was really, it was, yeah, it was a little, it was a little quiet. So it I was. wanted to capture this this new resurgence of you know the times of the 60s and so um yeah i interviewed athletes from the past that i grew up admiring like kareem abdul jabbar and bill russell and john carlos and that was like amazing being able to sit down with them i mean i interviewed muhammad ali's daughter and malcolm x's daughter you know wow. what I mean? like, wow. yeah just absolutely amazing and then i interviewed the current athletes who were using their voices, um, you know, to, to speak out on different things. And then I interviewed family members of victims of police brutality. Mm-hmm. Right? You're like Trayvon Martin's brother and Philando Castile's mother and um, Terrence Crutcher's uh, sister and, you know, stuff like that. And so that book, that, that, that was, uh, 
it was a good book, you know, and I wanted to really encourage younger athletes to use their voices as well. So I would take that book to different colleges and different universities and, and high schools and everything like that, doing a lot of different speaking engagements um, with that. And um, that was going great. And then COVID happened. Mm. So then everything kind of shut down. But while during COVID, you know, I just kept writing. So that's yeah. when I wrote my, my, my um, latest book which is called Police Brutality and White Supremacy, The Fight Against American Traditions. So I, you know, the same kind of concept and took a deeper dive into, you know, the history of racism, the history. I talked about uh, the Tulsa race massacre and Black Wall Street, uh -huh. you know, interviewed a lot of different people for that as well. So, yeah. And I, and so do you feel, because I, you hear athletes all the time talk about there's this, um, avoid when you leave that locker room for the last time and, you know, really trying to find something to keep you going. And, and um, do you feel like writing has been, that's what's been like your new, I don't want to say passion because it's, but it could be passion, but it's, it, you're doing such important work um, more so than a lot of, you know, no knock on them, but a lot of guys may, well, I'm going to pick up golf now and I'm just going to be as competitive as possible. But, you, but, but there's a lot of, I don't want to say competitiveness, but there's a lot of challenge to writing uh, some of the stuff that you're writing and, and, and doing what you're doing that, that it's not the same as, you know, throwing elbows down on the block, but, um, but it's, it's still a challenge, you know, I would imagine in, in a different area. Definitely. And, you know, the thing about it is I, I started doing the writing. Well, I started writing back when I was younger. Yeah, so, yeah. So I just kind of continued. But I, I, I started writing, especially for different publications, um, while I was playing. Mm -hmm. So it, I was kind of getting ready for, and I, one of the things is interesting, I was just talking to a group of young people about this, that they have to understand that no matter how good you are, there's going to come a time eventually when the ball stops bouncing. Yep. At some point, it's going to stop bouncing. Yeah. And when that point comes, you have to have something else that you're passionate about. Right. You, know? yeah. I mean, you have to have something else that you're interested in. Yeah. And that's why it's like, you know, there, there's certain, there's certain sayings that I see on social media, like what is like basketball and everything, or, you know what I mean? Uh, something mm -hmm. like that. I'm like, no, it can't be everything. Right. Because if it's everything, then once you no longer have that, then what do you have? <laughs> you know? Right. Um, and you can put all your passion and all your, you know, and, and push for this goal, but it can't be the only thing that you're focused on and the right. only thing that you even tap into. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, coach Thompson used to have the, uh, the deflated ball on his desk. Yeah. 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 You know, yeah. So same thing, you know, he would, he would teach even the, you know, uh, his college guys at, you know, and, and right. it's going to stop, it's going to deflate at some point. So. At some point at some time in your life is going to deflate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so talking about the uh, NBA and, and active. Oh, and I wanted to point out one thing. I, I'm curious if when Steph brought Riley to that press conference, although it seems like forever ago now, if that was kind of the term where it's like, why does he have his kid at the press conference? To, and now, and now you're starting, when you said that, you know, now you're starting to see more with the, right. you know, the athletes with that, but I'm, oh, I'm wondering if that's the, if that was the turn, because <laughs> you do definitely see it a lot more now. It was crazy because we would, and I talked about it in the book, there would be parts that happen that after every game where you see guys either from the opposing team and the, you know, the home team come out and kids are like running up to them and jumping their arms and stuff. But the, the, the public doesn't see all of that. Right. So I remember one time I was, um, you know, I had just been battling with uh, Ben Wallace. Like we've been battling the entire time. And I had the same type of story with Brian Grant. We were just battling. Mm -hmm. And we're in the back afterwards, you know, holding our kids, talking, like, ooh, that was a good one there when you did that. And, and it was, it's a scene that, like, nobody saw that part of it. Right. You know what I mean? That the guys with their families and guys, you know, oh, you only see the part where they're battling and trying to, you know, all like they were aggressive because that's the way that we played. Right. So then, you get a certain image of athletes and that's the only image that you get that you have. Yeah. And that was, you know, that's one of the things that pushed me to, to, to create a different image. Now it's different, but back then it, it, it's know. fascinating. No, yeah. I mean, that's really, you know, eye opening, And, and when you think about it, it's so true, you know, yeah. 
And that's what allows people to think that they can talk to athletes any kind of way when they're on the court. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's not a circus. You're not there to perform right. for them, but yeah. you know, these are people, these are fathers, they're husbands. And mm-hmm. uh, you see Chris Paul going off when someone's assaulting his, his mom or wife. And the game. Crazy. yeah, yeah. Um, it's another rabbit hole. We could get yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and, you know, and I've said it, I mean, I'm a high school coach, but it's still, we had a situation last year. We were, you know, different part of the state and they were kind of heckling our big guy and, you know, saying, I mean, just saying stuff that were, that was really inappropriate. And what do you do in that situation? We're kind of like, it's a small gym. We're beating that team and they're kind of, you know, and I'm talking basically all I could say to him was if you weren't good, they wouldn't be saying this to you, you know, but you're dominating them you know, and, you know, but had talked to him afterwards, like, I got your back, you know, it wasn't, they were like walking up to the line, but not crossing it, Mm. you know, and it's like enough where you're like, I'm getting like really frustrated, but trying to, it was, it was, I just can't stand the way fans treat, you know, even high school kids, you know, and, but, but pros too. It's really unfortunate because, you know, so many fans, they feel that because they paid their money for their ticket, that gives them carte blanche to do anything, almost like right. it's like 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 back in the movie Gladiator. Like yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Well, this is just I can do whatever I want to do, and they're just and it's it's just it, it's sad when you have fans that that you know um, have that type of an outlook on it because it's it's fun to play in different arenas. It's fun to go when you have fans that cheer and they're exciting and they cheer their team and their passion. That's all great. But then you had those other fans, you know what I mean, that are really fanatics, that yeah. are really, you know, go too far, and it's 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 unfortunate. It's yeah, like, it's unfortunate. Yeah, and what they don't, and what fans don't realize is exactly what you just said. After the game, you guys are holding your kids and talking in the tunnel. Yeah. You know, like no, we we're good. We may bark when we're out there on the court. But, you know, right. We're going to dinner after this. No question. No, yeah. You know, the funniest story. I have a funny story I can tell you real quick. Um, it was the biggest tournament. I was playing against St. John's. St. John's was playing against Syracuse. And we we beat St. John's. It was a great game. Um, and then so we're at our hotel and Ron Arte, he was Ron Artest Dan, he's middle of mm-hmm. peace now. He pulled up and said, Hey man, y'all played great, man. Hey, come on out. We're gonna take you out. We'll take you out <laughs> of the city. This is my city. We're like, all right, cool. <laughs> we're out. And the cats are like, what y'all doing together? You know what I mean? We just yeah. About to fight and beat beating up each other and everything. And Ron was like, man, that's just for the game. The game's over now. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And they were so shocked by it. But yeah. that's really how it is. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Guys, we know each other. We grew up playing against each other. Right. You know, through AAU and through the years and different, you know, tournaments and everything like that. So it, it's it's you know, people people think that. Like one team like hates each other and you see them like you, you gotta be held back. You're like, that's not how it how it is. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's our job. <laughs> yeah, it's our job. <laughs> um, so talk about and I, I saw this uh actually I think you're the one who posted it. I saw it on your social media. So the NBA now has reached fifty percent of their head coaches are black. Oh, yeah. Uh fifteen of the thirty teams have a black head coach, which is Phenomenal. I, I I couldn't be you know prouder of the NBA. Why is the NBA? What what differentiates the NBA from the NFL? Do you think it's it's so it's night and day. I yeah. mean, even back with so even back with 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 Kaepernick, um, I don't think that would have been a big deal in the NBA, right? Like I, I mean, the whole the it's just two completely different leagues, and Adam Silver. And I interviewed him for We Matter, Athletes and Activism. Mm-hmm. So we talked about that. I asked him specifically, what is the difference about the NBA? Why is it that the NBA, you know, kind of wrapped their arms and embraced the activism and the voices of players using their voices and things of that nature? He was like, well, you know, it, he's like, I, I don't know. It's just, he said he has an appreciation for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and he values the voice. And so I asked him, I was like, all right, I'm gonna put you on the spot. Is that okay? He was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> Would you ever punish an athlete for speaking out on on a topic that you disagree with? That mm. is against like, conventional opinion. And he was like, "Well, no." He's like, "I why why would I 
He was like, me agreeing with something is not this is not going to dictate, you know, anything. He's like, mm-hmm. you have opinions. He's like, if he presents it and you know he's speaking out or he's writing about it or he's saying something like that, why? He's like, I would never he, and you know punish anyone for that. Now, one thing that I will say is Adam Silver is a lot different than David Stern. Okay. So, and it was a different time period, and David True. Stern was under the mind frame that. He didn't want to do anything that had even the potential of taking away from the bottom line. Right. He didn't want to alienate any season ticket holders, any businesses, any people that were going to invest in the league. He didn't want to do anything. So a lot of the times he was going with the marketing trend to say, no, nothing that's going to even have the possibility of taking away from that, which also it contributed to the reason why it was so quiet during that time period. Oh, Adam yeah. Silver is the complete opposite. Yeah. No, we're going to embrace it. This is who they are. This is not like something that we can, you know what I mean, put a can on. And and I think that contributes to one of the reasons why you see so many athletes now having the freedom to mm-hmm. be able because I asked them and I asked different, you know, governors around the around the league. I interviewed Mark Cuban, I interviewed Ted Leonsis you know, interview different coaches like Steve Kerr and Steph Van Gundy and ask them as well. So the whole climate is different. Now, the NFL is almost was almost like the polar opposite. Mm-hmm. The way that Roger Goodell ran everything and the way that the, you know, it was absolutely the opposite. When you had Kaepernick, the reason why everybody reacted the way they did um, and why the players didn't all support the way that they did, number one, was because they have non-guaranteed contracts. Right. So yep. You have to understand it's a yes. lot easier to voice your opinion when your contract is guaranteed. Yes. Thinking, you know, people are like, well, what, where are the rest of the play? I'm like, you know, their employees at will. They could come in the next day and they could just say, we don't like your face anymore, so we're going to tear up the contract. You know what I mean? Like right. that, they have a different system. But even with that, the climate is different. Mm-hmm. And, the, and so where we're in the NBA – you know, celebrating things like, you know, even last night's game, uh, the first game of the finals, all of the, you know, commentators, all of the, you know, yeah. were all black. Yeah. See that in the NFL. Amazing. Yeah. Another you know, amazing feat last just, night. It's literally night and day. So, yeah. yeah it's yeah. yeah, I mean, Tom Brady's getting, you know, the biggest deal in history, and he's not even in the booth yet. Not, not even there yet. Never even he's called there. a game. Yeah. We ain't even heard if he's any good. We I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, you know, the Kaepernick thing still, I, um, well, whatever. I don't care if people don't agree with it or not when they hear this. I, I stopped watching the NFL. So my wife and I actually have not watched the NFL since, since that happened with Kaepernick. Right. So, right. um, because I just find the hypocrisy on another level. Um, <laughs> but it also makes me a bigger NBA fan that they don't even need the Rooney rule to get it right. You know, right. they got the Rooney rule and still can't get it. They don't want to get it right. They don't so, want to get it right. Yeah. Um, but I still think that if the, and no, not, I understand the the money aspect of it. Uh, uh-huh. But if every, just not even, you didn't even need the, if every, if half the black players in the NFL stood up, um, change would have happened. We saw that with, uh, with the bucks, you know, um, uh, during the bubble, and mm-hmm. and there's a you know there's a collective bargaining agreement that they were I mean they really could have torn up the whole collective bargaining agreement by the Bucks refusing to play or you know the other teams that joined in yeah. refusing to play but instead the owners and and you know um, Silver came and said what can we do to make this right okay we're going to open up the arenas and be you know voting centers yeah. Yeah. Um, you know that there was compromise there was compassion there was empathy to say night day night day yeah. I mean, it's so, uh, you know, just big props to the NBA for seemingly always getting it right. Um, yeah. And the I, WNBA as well. Hey, I oh, can't man. forget. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that that's uh, thank you. Thank you for your commentary on that. That was that was big. And I'm glad you brought up last night as well. So um, so you talked about your podcast, The Rematch. Mm-hmm. Um Really good podcast. We'll we'll post that too. Uh, you get some great guests on there, so uh, um, you know, uh, encourage everyone to go listen to that. Uh, so, do you release that about every two weeks? It's about every yeah, every other week. 
Okay. All right. Um, and you can find that everywhere. Uh, Apple, Google, sure. You're on Spotify as well. Yes, sir. Okay. All right. Um, all right. So then when it, so you, you start to transition now to coach, uh, so do you still have your uh, dynamic disciples? Yeah. Well, I stopped during COVID. Okay. And yeah. Still, Cause I know you and I had talked a few times. That's right. That's what we talked. So I had my group that I had been with since they were younger and, you know, I just followed them as they got older. Yeah. You know, my son was two years younger, but I just had them playing him playing with the, with, with the older guys. And um, then COVID happened. Yeah. So we had to stop those last two summers and it really hurt me because, you know, those are two key years for high school players, you know, for COVID and our program shut down. We didn't have anything. Yeah. Uh, you know, Pastor Jenkins was was like, yeah, we can't risk that. And I was like, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Because I was not comfortable risking. Yeah. <laughs> right. But 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 I might have tried because of them. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it was, you know. You know, it, it was it was the right decision, but yeah, no. So, so I'm not coaching this year. Um, okay. I was actually playing with Team Durant, and I mm-hmm. worked them out. So, so during the COVID years, uh, the two summers, especially the first year, we just stayed in the house. Like we yeah. was locked down, shut down. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even yeah. opening up a little bit, we were like, Mm-mm, we're yeah. waiting. <laughs> <laughs> so we we were already homeschooling. We homeschool, you know, up until high school. Okay. So, so that was Malcolm's first year of, of, of high school. So we just kept him home right. the first year. And my, my daughters, we kept home too. So we were just out here working out in the house, working, yeah. out, in the yard, working out in the basement, things like that. So that's what we did. And we had a whole routine with them. Um, but yeah, no, we was, we was, we was in the house. Yeah. And so you, you, uh, Malcolm, your son, so, and the WCAC didn't even play his freshman year anyway, right? So the freshman year, they played a few games. They play. They tried to get like six games in for the seniors. Okay. Was it um, was it just the DC schools in the WC? Because I, I well, no, no, no. So so everything was shut down. Okay, so all schools shut down. They just tried to get some games for the seniors so they could you know try to help them out with getting some footage and stuff like that. Some exposure. Yeah. Exposure, right? So they just tried to put. And I you know I talked to Coach Jones. I was like, Coach. We don't feel comfortable coming out yet. He was like, hey, no problem, no pressure. I just <laughs> yeah. for them. I understand completely. And I was like, all right, cool. Yeah. So, yeah we're going to just stay in the house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and you, so your son, so he played for you on Dynamic Disciple. You guys had a lot of really good players come through that organization. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. Who, are, who are doing really well now. So uh, congrats to on that, you know, to for putting that together and, um and so how's your son doing he's at the matha and just finished his sophomore my daughter's the same age so actually okay. today's her last full day of her sophomore year got exams next week so it goes uh, man it goes so fast yeah it goes quick my, my son's last day was yesterday so he okay. was so happy and he was like dad i want to sleep in till noon yeah <laughs> till noon okay <laughs> hey, all right that's fine i get it he was like dad i'm so tired I want to see it. Yeah. I'm like, all right, man. You know? Yeah. So, but um, yeah, no, it goes by fast. But he's halfway finished with high school. That's yeah. That's crazy. And then so then he'll have the big year coming up next, you know, junior year is a big year. And then yeah, uh, it's a big year. And then yeah. a big summer next summer as well. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Does he love it as much as you? Yeah, he does. No, he loves it. Yeah. He, he absolutely loves, you know, and also he he played soccer growing up as well. So that was good like he as well. He just got too tall for it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is, is he about six eight? He's like six eight, six seven, six eight. Yeah, <laughs> he just got too tall for soccer. <laughs> but I'm sure. But see, the thing is, like, you know what's what's funny, Aton, is that we got a couple of our basketball kids to play lacrosse this spring. Okay. Yeah. And what we tried to tell them was, one, your endurance is going to go way up. Oh, great. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and soccer would do that as well. Definitely. Um, f- soccer's great for your footwork and everything yeah. else. So, and we told him, said so the other thing is lacrosse um and, and they only played for like a, a little bit till aau started up but right, right, um right. so the thing with lacrosse is it's a lot like basketball so they're gonna get you know uh you know there's pick and rolls there's screens there's you know uh give and goes you know it's a, i mean it's not everything's not the same but it's a lot of the kind of the same mentality so they they picked it up pretty quickly um Stuff. Which is really funny seeing these basketball players out there. They they didn't know what they're doing with the stick, but hey, they tried. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> they enjoyed it. So uh so it's kind of cool seeing that, you know, those those multiple the sports can actually help. You know, the other right. sports can 
can help with that. So that's pretty cool, man. Yeah. Uh, all right. So uh, coming to oh, great that game last night. That was amazing. I, I was like, all right. Well, this is a like halftime. Like that was oh, an yeah. awesome first was, half. I thought it was a wrap. Yeah. They just well, so it's going to be a great series. Yeah. So who, who do you have winning, and how how far do you have it going? I got Golden State winning, but okay. you know I think it's going to be a fantastic series. Yeah. So. I pick Golden State in seven. I think I think it's going to yeah, go either six or seven. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I really hope Steph gets his first uh, Finals MVP. I did too. I did yeah. too. He's amazing, man. I mean, he. I was scre- like, there was some stuff he was doing in the third quarter last, first quarter oh, and third quarter last night. Really, Rock- the first quarter though, he came out. All, I was like, man, he's going to break. He's going to drop a hundred. Fire. Yeah, I was like, man, that that eighty, you know, no one's gotten eighty since Kobe, right? So right, I was like, yeah. that eighty might be in trouble tonight. I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, great first half, and then the third quarter, I'm like, oh, go, this is this is that Golden State, you know, that's over. Yeah. And Al Horford, yeah, like, where'd that come from? <laughs> yeah, I know it. I know it. Yeah, I know it. It's it, just so it just shows you how it's the right situation. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it, how much that, you know, and what I tell young guys all the time is, you know, sometimes you have to just be patient, you know, because a, a, a new situation can mean, you know, a whole new opportunity, but also, you know, they interpret that with the transfer portal. Now, okay, if this situation not good, I'm going to go to another situation. Yeah. But you do see it, you know, manifesting itself because it's, it, it's night and day sometimes. Yeah. 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 All the all of whatever situation, system, coach, the whole thing, the whole structure, if that's more conducive to you and how you play, you can really um, you know, really do well there. Yeah, yeah. This portal though, I oof. Yeah, I know. It's wide open, man. I, I, I total I for me personally, I totally get your coach leaves, you know, either oh, yeah, takes definitely. a new job, gets fired, you should get a free trip, you know, without you did because kids are not, you know, I, kids are not signing to go well you know i love this school as much as i love right. this coach this is with the coach no yeah. question yeah, and I, yeah. I agree with that i just it's i don't know there's no middle ground there's no it's like it's either right. yeah i, I yeah. don't know because now it's you seen guys they're they on a third school and they in three in years. three years yeah fourth school in four yeah. years you know what i mean yeah 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 i i think it should go back to you got to sit unless your coach get unless your coach leaves Okay. Um, you know, that you, if you have to sit a year, that may prevent some kids from doing it. Oh, it definitely prevents because yeah. that sitting out a year is a big deterrent. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. You wouldn't see, you know, people leaving the way you, that you see now. Yeah. Um, and so the situation has to be really bad for you to leave. Right. Because you know, you have to sit out. Um, I agree with you. If the coach leaves, then you should be able to leave. Yeah. But other than that, you know what I mean? I'm just like, it's just too much. Like, you yeah. look at the, the number of kids that were in the transfer portal. Was it was like, ridiculous. It was 25% of all of all basketball players were in the portal. That's too much. But I, and I, I'm curious, and I, I know we're going a little bit long. I got a couple of questions to finish up with you. Do you think that that's a big reason, like Jay Wright, Coach K, Coach Williams, Roy Williams, do you think that that's a big reason that these guys are getting out? I don't know, because Syracuse, you know, I, I would say it was if, if, if Bayhive got out, too, but he's still hanging in there. But he's got his boys there, too, because I wonder if he made they, – They're finished. Both of them? Both of them. Oh, okay. Okay. So everybody was thinking that he was going to retire after his boys, but he's, yeah. like, oh, he's like, I'm not here to coach my son. I'm here to coach the program. The yeah. Team. yeah. He said that very clearly. So, but, but, but we had a lot of people transfer as well. And it was something we had. I mean, we had stars transfer. Yeah, yeah. People who I was like, wait, you play all the minutes that you want. Like, why would you So, I don't know. 38 minutes. I've got to, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I know people are blaming the NIL on it, but it's, which I'm sure has something to do with it. But it's it's just wide open. You know, it's, I don't know, it's tough. Because then in theory, you still think, you know, I am the biggest proponent for players to be able to, capitalize off their name image and likeness i remember mm-hmm. being in school and seeing my jersey being sold and seeing my my image on the video game and seeing all the, you know what i mean i yeah. remember seeing all of that and they made a lot of money off of me but then you see players negotiating based on the nil deal and going to a specific school 
Like, well, if you can give me this, I'll come here because this school is able to give me this. And you're like, yeah, that's not the way it's supposed that's to be. That's not the way it's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so well, I, and I kind of blame the NCAA for that because had they been paying you on your Jersey sales, right. you know, or, you know, where it's, it's more right. You can, you've opened Pandora. They've opened Pandora's box now. This, I don't know they how they're going to go put it now. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. No. But had they been doing right by the athletes for the last 50 years and saying you can get a, you know, percentage of your Jersey sale and we're going to pay based on whatever, you know, Syracuse makes the NCAA tournament. The school is getting, you know, quarter of a million dollars for each round they go. For each round. Right. Yeah. And the players aren't getting any of that anything and that's the part that the nil deals are completely separate from all of that exactly yeah so nil deal isn't necessarily it's not like the ncaa did a big figure took any money out of their pocket for the nil deals right i mean and you know it's, it's still a billion dollar industry yeah and it's when you look at the number i remember being in syracuse in economics class and studying numbers and looking at the numbers i'm like wow and because at first there's some students that were like, well, you all get scholarships. So, you know, you get free room board. I was like, yeah, but look at the numbers. So let's, let's calculate. And, then, and the professor was saying, let's calculate tuition, room, board, food, you know what I mean? And yep. stuff like that. Now look at what is the amount that's generated. And they're like, oh yeah, no, that's a big difference. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're not doing us a favor by giving a scholarship. Yeah. Look what they're making. Now I will say like back in the day, like in the fifties, you know what I mean? When, mm-hmm. when you didn't have TV contracts and all that different stuff going on, then maybe it was a good exchange. Sure. But, but, but coming up now where you have, I mean, some, some, some of the TV contracts are comparable to professional contracts as far as the TV deals. It's crazy. Yeah. So when you're making astronomical money like that, you can't act like you're doing a favor by giving them a scholarship. Yeah. <laughs> And they got like, te- like Texas has their own TV network. I mean, you the know, there's like network, right? <laughs> yeah. Come on now. Let's, the let's Big Ten, the ACC, they all have their own network, yes. you know? Yes. Oh, gosh. Yeah, they should have just done, you know, it's like they they could have fixed this, you know? Yeah. Um, all right. So a couple questions and then uh, let you go. Um, so just some uh, some quick hitters here. So your three favorite basketball memories. Um, college or pro? Any. Well, of course, the draft was a big one. Okay. Um, yeah, I meant to ask you about that. What was your draft night like? Oh, it was amazing. Yeah. I was so nervous, but it was absolutely amazing. Having your friends and your family and everybody there, you know, that's what you everybody dreams about, walking across the stage, putting the hat on, shaking the commissioner's hand. I mean, and it was, it was in New York at that time still, right? Was it uh, radio? No, we was in Minnesota. Oh, it was. Wow. Okay. Yeah, was right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and um, so that was that was definitely huge. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. I just told this story when I interviewed Patrick Ewing. Uh, you know, I told you about how much I wanted to go to Georgetown growing up. Yeah. And it was the first year. So not my freshman year. Because my freshman year, I didn't really play that much. But the, the first game of my sophomore year that we played against Georgetown, it was here in D.C. <laughs> and I just went off. It was like my coming out party. <laughs> like it was like you know I was dunking everything, yelling, slap, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. like great game. And as soon as the game went off, uh, finished, uh, I ran right up to Coach Thompson, and it was before you know usually the coaches shake hands first. But I ran up first and shook his hand, and I was like, "You could have had me." At that point, I was like, "Okay, college career, I'm I'm, I'm good now." You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so that was like a, a, a huge part for me. And they're really coming back from open heart surgery. Yeah. Uh, that that first game coming back in 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 the Verizon Center. Uh, well, I, I call it Verizon Center. I don't know what it's Me called. Me too. Yeah. Capital One Arena, whatever it's called now. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I call it the MCI Center. I was, I was about to say I still call it the MCI Center half yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that first game coming back, and you know the crowd was roaring, and it was a welcome back, and it was just you know we played against the Nets. That was that was that was a great. So those those three moments were some big moments. Yeah, that's great. Those are some good ones. That's that's hard to top those. Yeah. Um, your <laughs> your starting five all time in the NBA. Oh, that's so tough. That's tough. Uh, I don't even know if I I hate doing these. I know I, you do, but and I'll say this: it doesn't have to be by position. 
Yeah, but I always had to do the position. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Um, it's so tough because I can't say. So each one I have a, a like, yeah, but he's right behind him. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, you know, ah, I, I don't like doing those. I okay. Because the fives, who do you put first? You put, you put, you know, you got Wilt, Bill Russell, Kareem, and Shaq. You can't take one of them. You know what I mean? Then with okay. power forwards, you got, you know, Keep Olajuwon. I've always put him as a power forward, even though he played center. Um, Tim Duncan, like, how do you, how do you, you know, then with the, with the, with the threes, I mean, it's tough. With no, let's point. do it like that. That's okay. So, okay. So, so, so I'll skip the threes right now. I'll go back to it with the points. Um, I mean, between Isaiah Thomas and Steph, and ah, it's that's tough. I mean, with the twos between MJ and Kobe and Elgin Baylor, and I see, I'm glad you said Elgin. That's a that's a really good, yeah. Yeah. Elgin Baylor was the truth, (laughs) DC guy, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's you know, yeah, it's 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 tough, but that's why I like to do it like that if I do those. No, that's good, I like that. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. then your threes, you have uh, clearly <sighs> LeBron. Yeah, you get you got LeBron. You know, I mean, Larry Bird was so special, but I I personally put LeBron over Larry Bird mm-hmm. uh, just because he was more so much more athletic. But it's tough. Yeah, it's Larry Bird. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. I mean, where do you put Ma- where do you put Magic? You put him as Magic, a one. That's what I'm saying with the point guard. Yeah, like it, it's tough. Unless it's, you need a center, I'll put like a group. Like I'm, this I'm group, good with that. This group, this group, and this group. Because otherwise, I wouldn't have heard Elgin Baylor's name. Probably, so, right. so I like doing the group. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, speaking of LeBron, by the way, first active NBA player to be named a billionaire. Billionaire, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, we talked. So I, I actually talked about this with um, uh, Will Richardson. He was uh, security for the Toronto Raptors. I had him on a couple weeks ago, okay. and somehow we started talking about LeBron. And I said it's interesting. Maybe you could do the book. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm I'm really interested in someone doing uh, either a documentary or writing a book on where he came from. The fact that he, you know, grew up without a father. Now he had mental, like his coach, you know, his high school coach was a big, big influence in his life, but grew up without a father, single parent home, no college education. He's now first active NBA player to be a billionaire. You look at his dream school. More importantly, you look at the, his circle and the fact that these kids in high school plotted out what they were going to do to be successful. And you're going to send this one to college to yep. go get a master's in business, you know, Maverick Carter. And they're, they're like doing all these things. Like they like concocted this master plan when they were like 16 years old right? and stuck together. And it came to fruition. It's amazing. It, it, we've, I don't, we've never seen anything like that in the history of, sports anywhere I, I agree absolutely amazing yeah. and you know i have so much respect for him all around you know and people criticize him for everything and when you're at the top that's what's going to happen you're going to have criticism but the way that he uses his voice mm, yes and the way that he's spoken out and it's interesting um you know when you had trump talking about him and trying to discredit him and trying to, you know, all the times. And it was so interesting because when I interviewed Kareem uh, for We Matter, he said something about that that, you know, always stuck with me. He said, yeah, that shows you how much power he has. Oof. Afraid, Trump is afraid of his power. Because if he wasn't and have that level of power and influence, then Trump wouldn't be worried about him. Why is he going to waste his time speaking about an athlete, speaking about something? Why would he care? <laughs> right. He spent so much time talking about LeBron, and there's a reason for it. And I was like, you know what? That's a good point. Correct? That's a very good point. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that's powerful. Definitely. Yeah, so I'm just uh, – no, that said, MJ's still my guy. He's the GOAT to me. I hear you. <laughs> but see, I was always rooting against MJ because I, I was a Knicks fan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bro. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you love that Starks dunk, right? Oh my gosh. And Starks <laughs> is from Tulsa. So Starks Starks is he? Uh, his his um high school was right around the corner from my house. Really? I didn't know he's from Tulsa. He's from Tulsa. Yeah. He Starks came and spoke to my middle school and it was like Oh, oh my man. God, Starks. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. And that so that's kind of the reverse from when you were at Syracuse. 
uh, knowing about the Wall Street. So you, now you're in Tulsa and like, no, I'm like, I'm a Nick. Like, right, right, right. <laughs> you're the yeah. only one raising your hands. I'm the only one. There are not many Knicks fans. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely. Oh, man, that's special. It comes full circle. Um, all right, last question, then we'll let you get out of here. Uh, five dinner guests dead or alive? Five dinner guests dead or alive. Um, well, first would be Jesus. Yes. Um, then I would, I would like to speak with Malcolm X, um, Bob Marley. Mm, good one. Yeah. Um, those would be my top three. Um, going past five, it's a whole lot of people. You know what I mean? But those three would be my, my, my first three. Okay. Yeah. All right. We'll leave it that, at those three then. That's good. All right. This has been a lot of fun. Again, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, it's been, been very special for me. And, I, and I'm going to read those books. I'm going to let you know, too. So, okay, great. great, um, great. Uh, I think I have one of them, but I can't remember which one. But I haven't. I, I'm, like, notorious for, like, buying a book that I want to read and just not read <laughs> <laughs> just put it down. <laughs> yeah, it's like anything. You got to make time for it. You yeah, know? Yeah. So, um, but yeah, and then we'll we'll actually uh, push those on the in the show notes as well. So I appreciate it. Um, and uh, again, thank you for everything you do. Thank you for your voice. And uh, why don't, can you just tell everybody where they can find you? Yeah, well, my website is atonthomas.com. So that's kind of easy. You see all the stuff that I'm doing. Okay. Um, on social media, I'm atonthomas36. Uh, that was my jersey number when I was playing, so 36. And that's the same for Twitter and Instagram. Okay. And uh, so we'll, we'll make sure to put your website on there, too, because there's a lot of great stuff you have on there. And Oh, and I'm sorry, last thing. So do you write for Huffington Post as well? No, I don't write for Huffington Post anymore. I write for The Guardian. The Guardian, that's what it is. Okay. Yeah, The Guardian. And then I'm also a, um, a senior writer for BasketballNews.com. Okay. I actually just wrote an article about Steph Curry, um, and I, I interviewed – um, three point guard legends, uh, interview Steve Francis, um, Nick Van Exel, and uh, Rod Strickland. Mm, and good ones talking about Steph Curry. So, yeah, where is Rod coaching now? Oh, Lord, you put me on the spot. I don't remember. I know he's, I think he's, is he coaching in the G League? I think he's coaching with G League Ignite. Okay. But don't quote me on that. Okay. That's what he's coaching. Because I know he's bounced around a little bit, but it's been fun to watch him coach, you know, oh, different okay. levels. So. Yeah. Great guy, too. All right. Great. All right. Well, go check that out. And uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning in here. Episode 47 of Tom Thomas uh, here on All Met Sports Talk with Coach Sherm. And we will be back next week. Have a great week.